So my, my wife and I once attended a wedding where the pastor did the strangest thing I've ever seen at a wedding. Instead of encouraging the young couple with hopeful words about their future, the pastor chose instead to lift up, to extol the amazing adhesive powers of superglue. As the young couple stood at the altar eager to begin their life together, the pastor in a moment of clarity looked in their eyes and said these words, as you too consider what it means that you will become one flesh today, I want you to imagine with me, all of you, imagine with me, my two fingers being joined together by superglue. And then one day, after years of being stuck together, my fingers were abruptly torn apart. But not without consequences, he warned all of us. Pieces of each finger would remain on the other. For that which God has joined, let no one separate. Remember these things when things get difficult. <laughs> I kid you not. Sitting in that chapel next to my wife, as a young, impressionable pastor, I made two decisions. The first was I was never going to talk about divorce at a wedding. I mean, seriously, not helpful. But second, and even more important, in that moment I vowed to myself whenever in a pulpit or before a congregation, in all contexts and all situations, I would do everything in my power to preach hope and not fear. Much of the current political rhetoric, in my opinion, is a battle. It's a battle between two opposing doomsday scenarios. In one scenario, migrants, people of color, and members of the LGBTQ plus community are plotting to take over our country and destroy our way of life. And in the other doomsday scenario, the earth is on the precipice of utter destruction and evil corporations and the wealthy are plotting our demise. And while the new cycle is currently dominated by a commander-in-chief who seems to enjoy, relish in peddling falsehood and fear, make no mistake, politicians from both sides of the aisle love to paint a picture of a bleak and desperate future if the other side wins. And all the back and forth and name-calling and fear-mongering, I am struggling right now to see how either vision of the future fits with the future Jesus tells us God has in store. Like all effective leaders, Jesus lives with the end in mind. By that, he, I mean he wasn't aimlessly and haphazardly responding to situations and people as they crossed his path. Throughout his life, Jesus' vision his vision of the future shaped his response in real time, in the present moment. And nothing, in my opinion, may encapsulate his vision of the future of our world more accurately than the opening of his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon we heard the beginning of today, when he says, with everyone listening, blessed, happy, fortunate are those who are poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry, thirsty, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, and persecuted. Blessed are those 
Before teaching one lesson or giving one command, Jesus paints this picture of a future God has in store, and it's a really odd picture, I think, if we're honest, because vision statements, at least as I understand them, usually give us a positive image of the future. Anybody here wear Warby Parker glasses? Good job, John. Way to go. They have a great vision statement. It reads, to offer designer eyewear at a revolutionary price while leading the way for socially conscious businesses. That's nice, isn't it? That's, that's hopeful and inspiring. Anybody here have a Life is Good t-shirt? Nobody? Really? Thank you, Amy Kim. Thank you, Ginger. Those cool t-shirts with the figure that's always smiling and happy, they have the most hopeful, catchy vision statement to spread the power of optimism. Who doesn't like that? And who doesn't love Ikea's vision? Particle board in every home. (laughs) No, just kidding. Just kidding. Ikea's vision is, quote, to create a better everyday life for people. Not bad. These are the kind of vision statements I think we are familiar with and comfortable with. They're simple, they're hopeful, and they're full of positive imagery, which is why Jesus' vision statement His outlook for the future, his hopes for the future is so interesting because instead of describing a future where there are no challenges, struggles, or pain, the vision Jesus lays out in the Beatitudes names many of the same realities that you'll find in the worst doomsday scenarios, things like poverty and sadness and meekness and hunger and thirst and pain. Jesus' vision for the world, for the future, is full of blessings, to be sure, but they are blessings that are found in the the strangest of places. So I'm curious, what is your vision for the future? How do you see things playing out in your mind? What is the end that you have in mind? What image of tomorrow shapes and drives your actions for today. When you imagine the world or our nation or Cleveland in 5, 10, or even 50 years, what do you see? Do you see a more peaceful world or do you see a world full of even more violence? Do you see the end of all the isms that plague us or do you see and imagine more of the same? Do you see a planet in peril or do you see a planet being healed by humanity? Do you see a better life for children, yours and others, or do you imagine a world that is far, far worse? I'm asking because to be followers of Jesus, to do the work he calls us to do, to step into his vision of the world, we have to see a future, imagine a future, picture a future with God in it. We need to look into the future with all of its challenges that are real. We need to see those things and have hope. Philosopher Dominic Crossan believes there are two types of stories, that all stories can be put in one of two categories. The first type of story is the type of story that resolves something, something that on the surface seems impossible to resolve. These are the stories that end well, the bedtime stories that leave us satisfied. 
These are also stories, though, that play to our fears. These are stories that love to give us simple answers to complex questions. These are stories that give us permission to blame and demonize others. These are stories, the stories we hear in most political campaigns. The other type of story, Crossan argues, has a very different goal. Instead of resolving things, making things fit and work, these stories actually introduce tension where people have moved too quickly to resolution. These are the stories that leave us, you know the stories, with more questions than answers. These are stories that challenge us to think more deeply, stories that draw us into conversation, stories that force us to look deeply at ourselves. These are stories like the one of a God who came on earth to dwell. The doomsday scenarios being peddled by both sides may actually work in getting people to come to the polls in record numbers on Tuesday, but I believe neither doomsday scenario has the capacity to inspire or transform because both are moving towards a vision of the future where everyone votes the same, thinks the same, has the same values, and beats the same drum, a future where there is no room for difference. No room for doubt, no room for questions, no room for struggles, no room for the other. And I believe we need stories much more nuanced than that. We need stories with more and more room. We need stories that draw us in, not pull us away from a mystery of a God who is Emmanuel with us. Two weeks ago, my wife's church and university circle sponsored a showing of the movie, The Hate You Give. The showing was given for about 125 juniors and seniors from John Hay High School. After watching the movie, which offers a powerful depiction of systemic racism in America and the violence and injustice that stems from it, the kids and some of the teachers and some of the staff of the church returned to the church for pizza and conversation. A few of the students, a handful, were deeply inspired by what they had seen on the big screen, and they got up in front of their peers, which is not easy to do. They got up in front of their peers, and they called their peers to action, to do something. But others in the crowd, most in the crowd, responded with deep, deep cynicism. You could could feel it in the room. It doesn't matter what we do, some said. It doesn't matter what conversations we have, others said. Nothing is ever going to change. After several minutes of this, a Case Western Reserve University professor named Heather Burton stood up to speak, and she was riled up. I've been listening to all of you talk, she said, and I want to tell you something. I have two master's degrees and a Ph.D., And I got pulled over by the police when I was driving through Twinsburg. And the only thing I had done wrong was that I was black and I had a hoodie on. So I know from all kinds of personal experience how hard it is to be black in America and how easy it is to think there is nothing we can do to change things for the better. I get it. But what your classmates are telling you, what they're saying to you, is right. The only thing any of you can do is figure out what you can do. What you can do today to make a difference in your life or in the life of someone else. Focus on that, she said. Do that, she said. If we all did that, we could change 
our country. So how do you how do you do that? How do you figure out what you can do when there's so much that's wrong in the world? How do you find the courage to take a step forward and try your best to make a difference, to move the needle? Well, I'll tell you something. You certainly don't do it by accepting a vision of the future that embraces fear or even worse, indifference. Fear or indifference motivates nobody to compassion or creativity. To live lives defined by hope, we have to believe that with God's help, we will prevail. We will prevail. God's future will come to pass. But as the Beatitudes remind us, this belief in a brighter tomorrow must also be partnered with a willingness and a courageousness to confront the most brutal facts of our present-day reality, no matter how difficult they may be. As followers of Jesus, we must be able to admit that things are a mess and that God is at work in the world making all things new. We have to be willing to see and to claim and to name that our nation is fractured. It is broken. And healing and wholeness is possible. We must have the courage to name the powers of racism, sexism, and greed that seek to tear us apart while at the same time unleashing the powers of love, acceptance, and peace. Hope is stronger than fear. Hope is stronger than indifference. But in order for hope to sustain us and others, it must be grounded in reality. Because hope disconnected from present-day challenges isn't really hope at all. It's just an empty promise that makes us feel better for a moment, but cannot deliver, can never deliver the future God intends. More than a new party in charge of Congress or a political landscape with less partisanship, what we need is a vision for the future that is rooted in God's intent for the world. A vision that inspires us to do what we can, where we are, with what we have, to move all of us just a little bit closer to a world where all are blessed. Kids, back in the day in college, there were things called boarding houses. They don't have those anymore. But Arthur Lloyd, author Lloyd C. Douglas lived in a boarding house while he was in college. And in this boarding house that he shared with others, an elderly retired music teacher lived on the first floor where he was bound to a wheelchair. Every morning on his way out, on his way out to class, Douglas would stick his head in the door of the teacher's apartment and ask him the same question every single morning. What's the good news, sir? And every time, the old man would pick up his tuning fork. I love that he held a tuning fork every day. He would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of the wheelchair and say, that, my friend, is middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. And it will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that is middle C. Our middle C, that, that tone that holds us together and moves us forward and gives us hope, 
a hope that does not disappoint us, is the presence of a God who is with us, a blessing that is not some imagined future where all is well. It's a blessing that says God is active in our world in the very places we think all hope seems lost. That's where God is doing something new, offering blessings, offering light, offering peace. That is the world that God intends. May it be so. Amen.